Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey hustlers, we know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you. Introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute drowning in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash monthly 5 k If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share podcast is brought to you by Sendit Philippines. Sendit is the leading payment gateway in the Philippines. Allow your business to accept payments seamlessly from cards, e-wallets, retail outlets, and local banks. For more information, visit sendit.co. Also powered by PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Download the PDAX app now on the Google Play Store, App Store, or Huawei App Gallery. Start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as 50 pesos by signing up on podlink.co slash hustlesharepdax. Also by Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. Sign up now at podmetrics.co for free and use the code hustleshare. This is an important thing. If you don't ask, you don't get. So learn how to ask. What's the worst that can happen is that they'll say no. If they say no, you're you're no worse off anyway. So what's the difference? Taking a page out of football also, right? If you never have a shot on goal, you'll never score a goal, right? Welcome to Hustle Share, the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We have a dream come true again in this episode. I've been in the game for 10 years. 10 years more or less uh, in the startup ecosystem. Failed a startup, got an exit, and now I'm on my third. 
and I've been seeing this guy since day one. I've been here. I'm not trying to carbon date him, but he's been <laughs> a very well respected figure in the startup ecosystem for the longest time. But before I get carried away, let's welcome Mr. Manny Ayala of Endeavor Philippines. Manny, welcome to the show. Hey, Ron, thank you for having me. It's uh, great being here. I uh, I'm so impressed. This is episode number one hundred and fifty. Wow, yes. Again, you, I do special I mean, episodes for a while. Yes, um, twenty nineteen February. I'm always turning turning two years talking to startup founders, entrepreneurs, and hustlers about their hustle, what the struggle they had through, and everything else in between. Because the startup ecosystem in the Philippines needs it. All these stories need to be documented because we're on a cusp. Of something big, I think that there the, the momentum is palpable, as well, yep. and it's really good. And we've come a long way since ten years ago. But Manny, again, thanks for being here. But I need to ask you the million dollar question, Manny. What's your hustle? My hustle, my hustle, my love these days is Endeavor Philippines. So for those of you who don't know what Endeavor is, Endeavor is a nonprofit. It's a global nonprofit based in New York. And uh, we've been at this since 2020, sorry, for about 23 years, right? So this started wow. in the middle of the first dot-com boom in 1996. Uh, and we're now in over 30 markets. And, uh, you know, the, the mission of Endeavor is very simple, right? It's to create an economic multiplier effect in markets like the Philippines, where it's not always so easy for a nobody to become somebody big and successful, right? So that's the mission. It's really about economic development. And the particular route that we take to achieve this economic development is by focusing on entrepreneurs. And then to be precise, a very specific kind of entrepreneur that we call a high-impact entrepreneur. Now, wow. you might be asking, well, what is a high-impact entrepreneur? Yes, elephant in the room right away. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, it, I, I think we were one of the first people to start using this term, right? So what we mean by high impact entrepreneur in Endeavor language, really three things. The first is that you're the kind of entrepreneur with the best ideas and the ability to execute. And no execution, palpak. If you're great at execution, but the idea sucks, palpak then, right? So you have to have both to be high impact. Number two, you're high impact when you grow up to become big and successful, right? What does that mean? It means creating a lot of jobs. It means creating a lot of wealth or IE revenues, because both of these have a very profound effect on the economy, right? And on society, right? So we love companies that grow big, scale up, and then create lots of jobs and lots of revenue. In the third way, you're high impact. And uh, frankly, this is why I decided to do this, right? Why I decided to start the Philippine office in 2015, because it really resonated with me. You are high impact as an entrepreneur when you share your success, you, you, you uh, reinvest your success in other entrepreneurs, right? Now, what forward. does that mean? Yeah, paying it forward, right? So what, what does this mean, right? What does it mean to pay it forward as a successful entrepreneur? Well, it's when you start mentoring other entrepreneurs. 
it's when you start sharing your important connections with other entrepreneurs. And in many cases, it's also about um, investing your money in other entrepreneurs, right? So kung baga, our theory of change, right, is if you have enough pay-it-forward entrepreneurs in an ecosystem, the ecosystem will begin to buzz, right? It will begin to get bigger and better. So that's what I do. That's my, that's my hustle, man. No, that's it's amazing. And you've been doing this when the buzz wasn't palpable, when there are few players in the game. And now you see the Roland Rosses were really going out of their way. You know, the mm-hmm. Paul Riveras, the Ray Refundos were all um, Endeavor entrepreneurs, by the way. But yeah. you saw this coming ahead of time. But I'm pretty sure when you saw this coming, you've seen this pattern emerge somewhere. And that's what I want to understand. And I need you to buckle up a little bit, Manny. Okay. Because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share time machine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, we're in for a ride. Yes, all right. We're all the way back with the DeLorean right there. Um, <laughs> I, w- I want to understand, Manny. Um, you see high-impact entrepreneurs. You've seen successes and failures. I'm pretty sure you've, yeah. you've seen... Many things to that, but I want to understand your journey first before we talk about an endeavor sure. in the in the. What was growing up like, and were the was entrepreneurship imminent at, at at the very young age of you? Because I've seen so many hustlers, and you said said it here. Yeah, this is my way of trying to pay it forward to to the whole ecosystem. I document mm-hmm. their stories, right? And it's a founder yeah. the founder talk. I'm not in the media. So it's usually no holds barred, cuss filled episodes, but I'm not gonna do that in this app. Don't worry. Um, but it, it's it's that I wanna I wanna be able to understand. And if you've seen this before, I wanna also understand where you came from and how uh, was growing up yeah. like. So um, high school, high school, I was living in the U.S. already. So my family migrated uh, when I was first year high school. Because my, my father had passed away. You know, my father died when he was very young he was 41 so leaving behind a 40 year old wife with five kids right um and we moved to the states we moved to the washington dc area because that's where well most of us were born in washington dc my dad uh at the time was getting his phd in georgetown right so we were born there then he came back for a brief bit to manila um, and then went back to the to the U.S. to become the economic attaché to the U.S. No, to, um, wow. Working for the Department of Foreign Affairs. Anyway, so that was my. I guess my mom had a good network there, a lot of friends, and she kind of wanted to give us this life in the U.S. So high school after my dad died, we were all in the U.S. I was living in uh, Maryland, right outside of Washington D.C. Right and. Um, I guess my first foray into what you might call entrepreneurship. Okay. Um, you might even call it major cheating, right? Because my <laughs> when uh, when she when we moved, she ended up working for the World Bank, and because the World Bank okay. is almost like a uh, it's almost like a diplomatic posting, we were allowed to bring some of our household staff, right? So we were able to bring a yaya, and we brought our driver, right? That was oh, one of the benefits working wow. for the World Bank. So in high school, to make money, I decided to get a paper route. Alamoyon, paper. No, what is you, a paper route? In the U.S., you you see these kids on bicycles, right, with a sack of newspapers and things. Oh, the one that flings it. Whee! 
<laughs> so um I think I must have been a junior, right? I was a junior, so third year. I needed to make money, right? I didn't really have an allowance because, uh, you know, my mom was a single mom, you know, working in the bank. We didn't really have a lot um, of excess funds for us. So I had to make my own money. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I found this paper route in the newspaper, right? So I was doing that paper route for a couple of months. So the problem, because you have to do that early in the morning, right? Every right. day. Was I was always late for school, right? And my I had I have uh, three other siblings, right? And they always complaining that I was the cause of, you know, <laughs> becoming late. So oh, I no. came. Up with, and I think I think you might call this idea outsourcing, right? I I right. came up with an outsourcing play. I cut a deal with my driver, right? His name was Mang Alex. I because Mang Alex. Wow. right? I don't have a license to drive. And you do, right? So, Galito, we will split the revenues from this wow. paper round. Uh, so, you go and you deliver this and I'll split it 50-50, right? And so, I get the other 50 because it was my deal. Nice. And, uh, you know, from that point on, we were able to do this and I was able to get to school on time. Amazing. That's that's rev share model. Very early stage. <laughs> outsourcing, right? Right. That's amazing. Now, after, again, college, what, what did you take up? Because, again, this is I, one thing that I love about Filipinos that have been educated, have had lived in the States or Canada or somewhere overseas, and they eventually come back. They come back with a lot of wisdom and a whole new perspective of how things can improve. I want to understand from your point of view, college or early or your early career what was that like and what are the things that you learned you know when I graduated from college where I thought I wanted to end up was to be a diplomat right I thought I wanted to help the world by you know helping countries get along better and so I thought that the way to become a diplomat was you had to first you know get into a profession, let's say like the legal profession, mm-hmm. you know, get exposure internationally and then enter the diplomatic course. So I thought, hey, why not go to law school, become an international lawyer, right? Practice for a few years and then become a diplomat. Got so it. that's what I did, right? So right after college, I uh, ended up working for a blue chip law firm in New York, right? A company called Cleary Gottlieb Steen and Hamilton, right? One of the top law firms and it was known for international law. I did it for a year and I didn't like it. Right? So I because well, maybe it's the law firm itself, right? So I decided to go somewhere else. I went to another big blue chip, internationally famous law firm called Skadden Arps Slate Migrant Firm. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like it, right? <laughs> I, just, I just, I said, after two years, I said, this is not true. I don't think I was designed to be a lawyer. So it's Ibanalang, right? Let somebody else do this. This is not for me. And I said, when I thought about what it was that really got me excited, it was, you know, combining something that was, you might say, intellectually rigorous with something highly creative. Because in, you know, in college, I was involved in a a lot of plays. I was involved with Glee Club, right? So there was a part of me that had to be doing something creative. So Sabiko, you know, you know where you find that? You find that in television. So I ended up working for a documentary film company based out of New York with a few uh, journalists who used to work for ABC, right? The network ABC. Yep. Uh, ang problema, right? Was this was an unpaid 
internship. So I got my exposure. It was great work, but it was unpaid. So to support myself living in New York, I did legal proofreading at night. Right. Wow. And of course, I, I knew that this gig existed because, you know, I had worked in a law firm and we routinely sent out, you know, reams and reams of legal documents for these companies to proofread. Right. So I knew I kind of knew the system. So I ended up signing up to be a legal proofreader. So that's how I was able to get into the media. Right. Was by proofreading at night. Now. Right around this time, right? So I'm going to date myself, right? So this was the, uh, you know, kind of late 80s, right? And that, and then EDSA happened in 86. Okay. So by the time, you know, I got to about 1987, I was thinking, you know, I'm working in media, right? I really want to try to make a go out of media. What am I doing here in the States, right? Look at what media just accomplished in the Philippines, right? It was able change the history of a country. And by the way, the reason I decided to get into media was the the emerging idea in my head about what my life was going to be about was how do I unleash uh, human capital, right? How do I help people unleash their potential? And I thought media was a good place to do that because media can educate, media can inform, right? So I said, so media, I think, is a good place for me to try to make a career. So I went home to the Philippines in 1987, mm-hmm. and I ended up working in a um, working for a investigative news program called The Probe Team. The Probe was- Team, Cheche Lazaro, right yeah. there. I was with Cheche and with Maria Ressa. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I started out, I started out, you know, at the bottom of the ladder, right? I started oh, out wow. as a assistant. I remember my salary, yung sweldo ko nun, <laughs> you, you laugh, yung sweldo ko nun was about 3,000 pesos a month. Oh, wow. Right? And uh, gosh, those, those were interesting days because this was before you had fancy technology. So there were no answering machines, you know, certainly mm-hmm. no. Interest. And part of my job was booking interviews, so can you imagine oh. trying to book interviews where the other person had to be on the other end for you to actually connect and try to do something? Or if you left a message, you had to be on the other line for them to connect with you. Anyway, Correct. that experience led to at some point me becoming a segment producer and a segment host. At one point, I ended up also hosting the 11 o'clock uh, news for ABS-CBN. Right. And then um, tonight. Is it the world tonight? Yeah, the world tonight. Wow. Galing mo. I know my TV. I'm a couch potato. <laughs> yeah, I, my co host back then was uh, Ami Godine. Sometimes it was Apa right. Pin. Yeah. Anyway, those were those were fun single days. Um, and then in 19, let's see, let me let me think about this. In 1990, 1990, that's it, 1990, I ended up going to B-School in the U.S., right? So I did B-School for a couple of years. Uh, and and my, my thinking back then was if I was more armed, if I was better equipped with, um, with business skills, you know, yeah. maybe we could run media companies in such a way that they were much more profitable so that you could plow more of, this, of these profits into, again, my mission statement, 
into programming that educated and informed people, right? So that you could unleash their potential. That that's amazing. Then I went to Hong Kong, right? And I'm back to Asia. Not, not like Philippines, but back to Asia. And uh, my first job out of business school was working for a division of Star TV, which at the time, right, was a pioneer. It was the first uh, multi-channel pay TV service, right? Uh, covering wow. all the Pacific. Okay. And the division I was in was called Media Assets. And our job was to buy content from around the world to feed this beast, right? Because we were in all these territories 24 right, right. Was this right. the Star Sports at that time? Star Movie, Star? Is this the, all the same that, Star? All wow. of that fell under one roof, right? So, we, wow. so part of my job in uh, Media Assets was to acquire content. So, one we did is we acquired. Chinese language film libraries like the Golden Harvest, the yeah. famous film library. We even we even ended up buying a um, animation studio based in Dublin, Ireland, started by an ex Disney veteran. Baka alamoto, the Don Bluth Animation Studio. Sounds familiar. I can't put my finger on it. You might know the movies, right? A Land Before Time. Oh, the dinosaurs. Right. So this was the studio that that uh, um, produced these movies. Amazing. Right. Um, from there, from Star TV, I ended up moving to Turner Broadcasting, still uh-huh. in Hong Kong. And I was the number two person there um, for Cartoon Network and TNT. So, Oh, my God. To launch these services across the Asia Pacific. So I did it for a couple of years. And then I landed my dream job, right? My yep. dream job. Remember, my mission statement had to do with informing and educate, uh, educating people, right? I ended up uh, at Discovery Channel. Wow. Right? Again, as the number two person at Discovery for Asia Pacific. And it was a great time, right? So we launched services uh, in a territory that stretched from New Zealand, you know, all the way to India, uh, from uh, Indonesia, all the way up north. Uh, fantastic time. Really great time. Now, Manny, I have a question in terms of this this path. Before we, before we take our first break, you, you coming from the states, going all the way back to to probe, do, being here in the Philippines, building a network, and I, I'm I empathize a little bit because I expounded my or I expanded my my network extensively because of this podcast. You know, I've mm-hmm. met so many people I've never had a chance to. You, the dad does yeah. you earnest like nah I, I won't even get a chance if i'm not uh doing things but i'm also in a way in new media because of podcast network asia and the goal there also is to amplify voices yeah. in the creator yeah. economy right yeah. so that more intellectual stuff can surface out not it's not the propaganda and the the, the stuff that we have now <laughs> so that people can think that there is still some sanity out there but um the, the question that I, I have, and while you're still working for people, mm-hmm. media, for some reason, develops grit in you because it's never an easy job. You need to have stamina to thrive in this. Yeah. During the, those tough times where you were going here, you had to go to business school and now becoming a leader in TNT and Turner and Discovery. Mm-hmm. How did you pull through in those tough times? Because I'm pretty sure there were rough times. 
how did you pull through? Because again, most kids also that are listening into this, this podcast are probably just right in the thick of it. They're right in those tough potholes that they're yeah. stuck in. And if you make, if you just wave the white flag, you won't see as how far you can possibly go. What did you do for your end? You know, I think I'm lucky that, you know, in my life I've had, uh, you know, I had, I had a very good role model, which was my dad, right? He died and he died young. And I think, you know, I'm sure psychologists will, uh, will validate this, right? So when, you, when you're a kid and you have a parent die young, right, the, the impact can be profound and lasting. So it's almost like I had a blueprint in my life for how are you supposed to be, right, when you grow up? And my dad, you know, my dad was a real stand-up guy, right? So this is, um, I would call him a Christian gentleman, right? He, wow. he was a seminarian for a year, right? So mabait na tao talaga, right, my dad. And he was also the valedictorian of his class, right? So in wow. Ateneos, he was a very, you know, um, compassionate and intelligent person, yeah. right? I think when he died, no, he was 41, he was the president of PCI Bank, right, wow. at that time at the age of 41. And so I guess for me, because he was my role model and because he was uh, Ateneo born and bred, right? This, this idea of being a man for others or a person for others, yep. you know, that, that your life um, is probably best spent when it's in service of others. You know, that's the thing that keeps you going. It certainly keeps me going when I know that uh, somehow I'm trying to make a, a dent in the universe, trying to make a positive contribution. Right. So I would say that that's probably the biggest influence, right? Is my my dad and you know by extension the the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. That's amazing! Wow, multiple generation gesture. Even if you're educated there, it's still triple true, and that's amazing. Now let's take our first break, and when we come back, let's now talk about what you did after discovery and how you now paid it forward with your investments and also Endeavor Philippines. We'll talk about that more after the break. Hey, Hustlers, it's been over a year and a half since the pandemic has started and completely bamboozled us because it changed and altered how business is done in the Philippines. But if there's a silver lining that I've seen, the businesses and startups that thrive now are those who are not just digital, but also make it easy for their customers to pay them. And the thing is, no matter how great you think your product is, your startup won't scale and achieve real product market fit if you don't do an omni-channel approach in getting your customers' payments. Now, we've discussed so many options of how to get that done in this podcast already. However, what if you can just get that done using just one product? And that's why I highly recommend that you guys use Sendit. Sendit Philippines is the leading payment gateway in the country and they allow businesses to painlessly and seamlessly accept payments from their customers. And these payment channels include credit cards, direct debit, e-wallets like Gcash, PayMy, and GrabPay, retail outlets, and pay later. Now, I'm not going to recommend this if we are not a user ourselves. We use Sendit in Podcast Network Asia and getting payments from our sponsors and also disbursing money to our podcasters. Now, it's not just us because there's a lot of legit Filipino startups that achieve scale that are using Sendit to get this done, just like our friends from Kumu. Now, if you're interested to use it for your business or your startup, we're going to make it very easy for you to get started because you are a listener of Hustle Share, And that's why we're going to give you access to Sendit's SME program, which is Sendit's org-wide initiative 
to help our SME customers grow and scale. Through this program, they will waive up to 1.6 million pesos per business and free transactions just by signing up today. And it's only applicable to new Sendit merchants and for transactions excluding cards. So if you're interested, just click the link in the description box of this episode to find out how to join. So if you have a business or startup that's gaining momentum now, I highly suggest you start investing in this infrastructure like Sendit to allow you to scale, not just now, but for a post-pandemic world. All right, let's get back to the show. And we're back in the break. We're still with Manny Ayala, who then told us an amazing journey again of how he was able to establish his career, who was, again, uh, predominantly in media at, at this point. But after being, again, head of programming and strategy and discovery, right? Which, by the way, thank you for making uh, and creating great content in the 90s and early 2000s. Dexter's Laboratory and all these great cartoons, probably. I'll have to thank you for that. Without that, what what will I, I it will be just be Voltes 5 all the time. Okay, so thank you for. Yeah. By the way, the creator of Dexter's Lab is a Philam. His name is. No Van way. Pa- oh, sorry, not Dexter. Sorry, sorry. Johnny Bravo, pala. Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo. <laughs> I'm dancing right, literally. This is my childhood. Oh my god, amazing. But I, I now want to understand. So you've seen the hustle MBA open up your mind. You, you've seen, and the, the, and the goal was to amplify better stories out there. What was your first foray into entrepreneurship? And what well, was first, that like? Well, let's, let's, not, let's not include my paper route where I did some outsourcing, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> one um, was, you know, by, by around 1999, right? So as we were coming to the tail end of the first dot-com boom, I was starting to get itchy, right? I had this itch. Saw all these companies being built, and because my mission statement was about you know unleashing potential, I thought to myself, "Wow, with this new technology, internet, wow, you can do as opposed to broadcasting where it's a one to many medium, right? With the internet, it can be many to many. It can be one to one, but there was just so much more possibility. I thought, so Sabiko." You know, I think it's time to uh, get to a different plane, right? And so I said, why not? Why not try to unleash human potential through entrepreneurship, right? Because there's so many people creating so much impact in the world out there. So I ended up helping to start a company called the I Reality Group or IRG, right? And when IRG was launched in the year 2000, and this was with you know, a few investment bankers. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them were some of the leading guys at the Lehman Brothers in Hong Kong. There was a Morgan Stanley guy. Mm-hmm. The whole idea back then was, right, we, we were going to create a venture builder. And I don't even mm-hmm. know if existed, right? But what did we observe? So at that time, 1999, tons of companies were being built. Yep. And there were two things that were scarce, right? Capital was scarce. Mm-hmm. And uh, expertise or adult supervision was scarce, right? You had all these young guys, you know, trying to create these companies and they needed money and they needed smart people to kind of steer them in the right direction. So we said, let's go and fill this gap. So we raised $33 million. Wow. 
first, right? So they knew a lot of the high net worths out there. We raised 33 million bucks. And then we proceeded to build the platform. We hired really seasoned professionals in uh, disciplines that we thought would be helpful to the startups, right? So we got very senior headhunters. Kasi these guys always Alan. need to... We got um, very senior marketing and PR people because one of the weapons of a startup is free publicity, right? We, of course, had investment bankers because they needed to raise capital. And we had a bunch of lawyers because you had to you know, legally paper all of these deals. And we had a few you know, uh, ex-technology consultants on the team. Got it. And, uh, the whole thesis was, let's go and invest in these young companies and then let's add some of these services. So mm-hmm. our business model was we invest and we get equity for services. Now, mm-hmm. very soon after we launched the company in March, I learned one of my biggest lessons as an entrepreneur. Which is? Timing is everything. Yes, absolutely. In fact, you know, if you listen to uh, most people who talk about success and failure as an entrepreneur, people like Adam Gross, the founder of Idea Lab, right? He says mm-hmm. the single biggest reason companies fail is bad timing. Yep. Not the team. It's not the founder. It's not the idea. It's the timing. So we, we learned this lesson firsthand. You're nodding your head. Yeah, um, I did party file. I was, I was, I remember this is my first startup. Kickstart invested on it 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, we even created this app that gets people into the club using QR codes. 2013, 2014 QR codes. Good luck. Scanners weren't around. Now everybody's using QR codes. Here, Gcash me this, Gcash me that. And again, it didn't survive because it was too early for its time. I had to be one of those uh, collateral damage that paved the way for, for those. I've seen also so many startups like this in the Philippines, like um, Tripid, ride sharing, until it became, you know, um, there's so many startups that, that died ahead of its time that that was just too early for its time as well. So what happened with IRG and those things? Yeah, so we learned this firsthand. As I told you, we incorporated March of 2000. And the NASDAQ, right, the internet bubble burst. Oh, no. Right, April of 2000. This business model we had, right, which is a venture builder, it's built for a bull market, not a bear market, right? And so anyway, in any event, we continue to make investments, right, for the remainder of the year, right? So we invested in companies, in Australia, Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, even the US. But by the time we got to the end of the year 2000, we looked at each other and said, you know what? This thing ain't going to come roaring back anytime soon. We got to do something different. We have to pivot. So we pivoted even before the word pivot was also right? This is back in the year 2000. And uh, first thing we had to do was we had to shed costs. You know, we were, believe, believe it or not, we were in half of a brand, you know, half a floor, an entire floor of a brand new building in Hong Kong, in Central. So talk about, you know, luxurious (laughs) settings, right? And uh, as I told you, we had hired some very seasoned uh, professionals as well. Yeah. So 
the first thing to do was take out the, the surgical knife and start chopping off limbs and just make sure that the brain and the heart are still there, right? But everything else get rid of. Right. Um, so we ended up doing that and we ended up um, having to either shut down or sell on some of these investments we made around the world. And then we morphed from a venture builder into a boutique M&A shop, boutique mergers and acquisition shop, right? Which made sense at the time for two reasons. Number one, you know, the founding team, most of them, with the exception of me, were all investment bankers. So they knew this and they had a good Rolodex, right? Um, And the second reason it made sense was because of this bubble bursting, there were so many companies that were in need of something to do with them, right? Somebody, you had to sell them, merge them, you know, acquire them, whatever. Yeah. And so I knew there was going to be business, right? And since my investment banker co-founders knew a lot of the people that had put money to work, we actually became, you know, one of the leading, um, I guess, boutiques working on this kind of work. Nice. We were able to survive, you know, I mean, the company still exists today, right? But I'm no longer active in that company. But that business model is perfect for a bear market too, because again, companies come at a discount, right? And people are kind of, you know, in in a desperate mode for survival. Not being opportunistic, but it gives you gives them a lease of life through M and A's that 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 happen. I'll tell you a secret, okay? <laughs> the secret is, no matter what the market is, investment bankers find a way to make money. Right. So yes. In a bull market, in a bull market, they'll tell their customers, "Hey, you need to acquire, 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 acquire." Right. In a bear market, hey, you need to shed, shed, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> wow, man! All right, it, it's 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 amazing. It's a great skill. It's like being a good debater, diba. Right? Yes. You can take any side, correct, as long as you have the right argument. Exactly. And at the end of the day, if you get the wins, that's all that matters. Now, after IRG and you're no longer there, what was the next uh, big jump for you? Because at the end of the day, you know, you've now seen the bull market. You now recognize that timing is everything. Yeah. Right. You recognize that team is important, but all those things need to happen in the mm-hmm. right uh, pot and in that little pot uh, the, that you have to stir. In order for your for a company to have a good chance of making it, what did you yeah. do next? Well, so right around 2005, right? So this is five years into IRG, right? As the markets were beginning to recover, right? Because 2000 was a bear market. 2003 with SARS was another kind of mini recession. Oh, and then, you know, the global economy started to get out of it, you know, by 04, 05. Um, I was watching the Philippines because I was based in the Philippines by that time, right? So during SARS, my wife and I decided to move back to the Philippines, right? Exactly. And I just told my partners, I will do IRG, but from the Philippines. Exactly. So right around that time, right, 04, 05, the telco industry here in the Philippines started to really boom, mm. right? Do you remember what they were making money from? Yes, I've had so many ex-telco guys selling DSL, and all these other old school stuff that are not even doing B2C. Everything was enterprise level B2B. Well, but there was there was a very significant B2C component, right? If you remember, they were making money from VAS, right? Value-added services, aka mobile content, ringtones, wallpapers, tech services. 
The Knicks, the Ledos of the world, the Cholo size of the world back then. Yes. That's right. So around 05, right? I was looking at this market. I was telling my, my uh, co-founders and IRG, you know what? Why don't we put some of our own money to work, right? We've been working, you know, all of these deals as the people that put these deals together. Parang, ano, laway lang kami, di ba? Why don't we put our own money to work and, and actually make investments? And so in the Philippines, I said, you know what? I think there's an interesting opportunity, right? Looking at the timing of the market. Because with this uh, explosion in mobile content, um, you, saw, you saw the rise of the, uh, what do they call it? The, the mobile content companies, di ba? like Nix's company, like my Labillion Nueva's company. Yep. And um, at, at a certain point, there were dozens and dozens of these companies. So the thesis that we began to formulate, we, we began to formulate uh, two, two ideas. One is there's going to be some consolidation in the market, right? Because you can't have, you know, like 30 plus of these mobile content companies, right? And everyone, everyone's still making a good, decent living. And number two, I said, you know, Malamang, the telcos are also going to want to try to get back some of the margin they're giving away, right? Because at that time, uh, they were giving away 30% of, you know, every uh, transaction to the mobile content companies, right? They might want to take some of that margin away by actually getting into the game itself. So they might want to acquire one of these mobile content companies. Right. I said, why don't we go and invest in a mobile content company? right? And then prepare it for a sale. So I found a company, right? Happened to be started by two friends of mine, Sheila Ramos and Melissa Limcauco. Yep. We put in some money and then side by side with Egg Entertainment Gateway Group, I started another company, right? So I built another company called Egg Stream, which mm-hmm. was based on one simple idea, right? Which was this, see Egg and content, right? They've made so many of these tech services, wallpapers, ringtones. And um, what, what they might have missed it was that there were 10 million Pinoys living outside the Philippines who were homesick. So 10% of our population. And they're making good money, right? They're earning really good money. So I think we can monetize that. So I set up a company, called it Extreme, and began to cut deals with telcos in markets where there were a lot of Pinoy's. So Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, Middle East, and the US. And we began to, uh, to sell all of this content. And this wow. thing became in, in less than a year, right? So anyways, the investment we in Egg was made in 2006. And then we grew that, grew Extreme. And then by 2008, you know, it was, it was looking very interesting already. And we sold it to Globe. Yep, I remember because I went to that. I went to the Salcedo office, Salcedo Street office near the Indonesian embassy in Salcedo Street. Um, <laughs> okay. Near Rodik Stapa. <laughs> That's where I, I ate after I went to the egg office. Because uh, okay. back then, the VAS that came kind of free with kickstart investment to say, hey, go to egg. And I, I was blown away with what I saw. Like, what are you guys doing here? Amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, one of the things we did at Egg, right? And this is again shows you the power of network. What we got into some, you know, one of the lines of business was tech outsourcing, and that came about because one of the people that used to work for me in Cartoon Network ended up going to business school and ended up working for a company 
sorry, her one of her good friends ended up at a company called Kleiner Perkins, right? Big VC. Yes. And they had invested in Friendster, right? And when they were looking at their Friendster investment, they said, you know what? If you look at our numbers across the world, some of the biggest numbers are coming out of the Philippines. We need yep. to do something there, right? And so they got in touch with me and uh, because they knew I was in mobile content. And we ended up building for them an SMS platform, an SMS alerts platform, the first of its kind in the world, right? Yep. And from that, from that point, we then created kind of an outsourcing shop, right, for Friendster to work on, um, you know, a, a lot of the platform, SMS platforms that they wanted introduced into the market. So after um, those two things, what's the next company that you did? What's the next chapter? Um, so the next chapter was setting up Hatched, right? Which is a venture, you know, I would say 50% venture builder, 50% venture capital, right? So in a way, it was going back to my IRG roots. Yes. So, so finally, you know, the market seemed to suggest, right, it was a good time to start you know, creating companies again. And so um, my two partners there in Hatched were Nick Snoliado yep. and Lisa Limcauco, who was my partner at Hatched, right? All Sarcedo Street people as well, for some reason. <laughs> Your offices in Egg or just literally a few buildings away from each other. Yeah. Uh-oh. So Sal- Salcedo Valley, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But anyway, so we were we we were all uh, friends from EO, right? We all belong to entrepreneurs organization, and we all love tech. So we said, why why not try, you know, incubating a, a few ideas? Um, so we set that up, and uh, that was set up in 2011, right? Mm-hmm. Our first the first project that we got off the ground actually was Rappler, which mm-hmm. we launched in 2012, right? So you know all the um, I guess we've come back full circle, right? Because hey, yes. it was at 1997, I uh, ended up with a probe team with Cheche mm-hmm. and with Maria, right? So year 2012, we launched Rappler. Uh, we built a couple of other companies as well. Purple Click, which was a partnership mm-hmm. with a Singapore digital marketing company, right? right so right. a company that helps SMEs build their brands online, right? Through advertising on Instagram, Facebook, Google, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, another company we built uh, is a company called Pawn Hero, which is yes. an online right? And then on the other side, which is venture investing, right? We've invested in companies like Ayana, companies like Grocery. Yeah, I just had ER a couple episodes ago. Um, amazing, amazing stuff. But um, before we jump into Endeavor, Wearing your your investor hat, what do you look yeah. for in the founders that you? Because again, there's also quite some sizable investment. I mean, I mean, uh, entrepreneurs out here. Now there there's more successes now compared to where we are five ten years ago, especially early in the game. But if you you started throwing capital around 2010, 2011, I'm pretty sure the the characteristics of the founders you look for are still pretty similar now. What do you look for in those founders and the companies that you invest in? You know, one of the things, you know, for me, that's super important. um, I ask myself, is this entrepreneur a 
purpose-driven entrepreneur, right? As opposed to a uh, profit-centric entrepreneur or a a profit-driven entrepreneur, Mm. right? Um, what, What I've noticed over time, right, is if your only motivation in life is money, Mm-hmm. That might not be strong enough to help you survive a storm or a crisis. In fact, very often what I see, right, in, in young companies is the minute with, with these kinds of entrepreneurs, the ones who are just focused on making money, the minute life gets rough, they're one of the first to head for the exits. Yep, they bail. Contrast, right? By contrast, a purpose-driven entrepreneur is somebody that has an itch, right? They need to do this thing for the world. And that is, it's almost all consuming. When you're like that as an entrepreneur, that's when you get grit, right? But grit is that stick to it, you know, kind of quality, right? Mm -hmm. That ability to face adversity, Mm -hmm. right? What I find is it's the purpose-driven people who are like that, right? They're the ones with a lot of the grit. No, because that passion is literally intertwined with them. I'm not saying I'm, the, I'm, I'm, I'm a purpose-driven thing, but I empathize because in all the companies I've founded, Party File, again, you cannot slice it into two. Party File is Ronster and Ronster is Party File. Chatbot yeah. BH, when it got acquired, same thing. And now podcasting, which is now come full circle because all I wanted to do, or at least when my mentor, Joji Azurin, told me when he was starting to help me out and I was a youngin, was I have to pay it forward. And this is mm-hmm. my ultimate attempt through this podcast at first to pay it forward to the to the to the to the whole startup community and the whole the whole company that that I built around it, Podcast Network Asia, to pay it forward to those content creators so that they can pay it forward to their communities and represent those verticals as well, no matter how niche it is. We have we have shows like you probably know him like Iba Rasul Bernardo. Who of talks course. about motorcycling? And it's one of the most profitable podcasts in the in the country right now. <laughs> you know, with, with a very <laughs> yeah. niche listenership, but you know, and we have the number two best, uh, probably 30% of the whole market share in the Philippines. And these all represent a certain tribe. So it feels good because again, that purpose, it's bigger than you and your whole team combined. So it's it's really purpose-driven. And we we go through a lot of crazy stuff, which I'll ask you later how, how you go through those rough patches as you scale up because this is also uncharted territory for me. Now, I want to jump into mm-hmm. Endeavor now because this is why we are doing this episode. From Hatch, from being, again, investment and Endeavor, who was not non-profit, how did this Endeavor, um, Endeavor, Endeavor <laughs> from, <laughs> uh, start? Okay, so Endeavor got its start in the mid-90s, right? In the, in the middle of the first dot-com boom. And it was started by an American woman named Linda Rotenberg. Right, so she's the founder. And uh, her co-founder is a, uh, a fellow by the name of Peter Kellner, who's now a very successful venture capitalist. Right, And both of them were trying to change the world through, I guess, supporting entrepreneurs, Right. But the origin story of this, right, is Linda Rodenberg in a taxi in Buenos Aires in the mid 90s, right, as she was trying to figure out what is the best way 
to support entrepreneurs, right? What's the best way to do this? So she's in a cab, she's going all over the place. And, you know, Linda's a live wire, very dynamic person, right? And very model dal, right? Right. So ends up talking to the cab driver and discovers that the cab driver has a PhD in engineering, right? So what? Uh, it's a question, right? For her, was, what are you doing driving a cab, right? And then uh, the cab driver turns around and says, what do you expect me to do? Work for the government? And then Linda says, no, 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 that's not what I mean. What I mean is, look at what's happening in Silicon Valley. There are all of these people like you, right? They're technical people, smart people, and they're starting companies, and they're killing it, right? Look at Amazon, Yahoo, Facebook, Google, right? Sorry, not Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, right? But So Amazon, <laughs> Yahoo, right? They're killing it. And then the taxi driver says something, right? That I could say was the light bulb moment. He says, well... How do you expect me to do that here in Argentina, where uh, families own 80% of the economy, right? So yep. if, you're, if you're a nobody and you're trying to start something, it's extremely difficult, right? I have no cash, no credibility, no connections, right? Mm-hmm. And that's when Linda decided, you know what? I'm going to start an organization, a global organization to help people just like this. Got right, it. people like this engineer to give them access, right, to these connections and to this cash, right, to give them credibility because they belong to this global organization. So, fast forward to today, as I said, we're in over 30 markets. Wow, right? We now support over 2,000 entrepreneurs. Um, I'm trying to remember some of the stats, right? I think it's something like you know, our uh, entrepreneurs collectively generate over $25 billion a year, right? Something like that. And then um, I think in the year, let's see, last year, we probably helped them raise almost $4 billion in equity, right? And then the number that I love, right? The number that I love is we've helped um, to create over 4 million jobs. So I think there's something about what we're doing that kind of works, right? Absolutely. The story in the Philippines um, actually has to do with me being late for a meeting. Mm. What happened? So um, Endeavor was, I guess, considering setting up in the Philippines in, you know, kind of 2013, they started looking at the market here, right? Saying, is this the right time to start in the Philippines? So Mm -hmm. there was a woman in charge of expansion in Asia for Endeavor woman by the name of Cindy Ko. Okay. And uh, one day, in order to try to figure out, you know, who to start with in the Philippines, she reaches out mm-hmm. to an organization that I belong to, right? Called yep. EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Yep. And um, I think I was the president 2012, right? And so 2012, 2013. And so 2014, she gets in touch with my successor, Jean Go. And says, hey, I want to meet you guys because I'm trying to set up this nonprofit called Endeavor and we want to create a board and we want to mm-hmm. we want you guys to you know give us some ideas on what to do. So Gene says, okay, let's go and have a meeting, but I want to involve my uh, my friend Manny uh, because I think this is the kind of thing that he's interested in, right? This endeavor kind of stuff. And so we set the meeting, and that day comes, it's like a month later, and then uh, lo and behold, Gene. Completely right. forgot 
about the meeting, right? He flakes. <laughs> oh, no. I was on a very important call, right? And I said to myself, well, okay lang naman. Anyway, it was Gene's meeting. Okay naman if I'm late, right? <laughs> I show up at this, uh, where was it? It was the UCC across from uh, the Shangri-La in Makati, right? And Got there it. is Sindico sitting all by herself. And I think I'm like 40 minutes late, right? I felt so bad for Cindy. I said, Cindy, from this day on, you own me. You can ask me to do anything and I'll do it as long as it's legal. Right? <laughs> okay, so, reminding you, my first task is um, help me put this board together for Endeavor. Because the first thing we always do in a new country is we put together a board of directors because these are the people that help to give us credibility as well as funding. Got it. Right? So our board... Um, Who's in our board uh, today? It would be so our chairman is Jason Ko. You wow. know the chairman before him was Jaime Sobel. Yep. Um, the chairman before him was Bobit Panlilio, who runs J.P. Morgan here. Yep. Before that was Gabby Lopez of ABS, right? And we've oh added like Japsia, Fred Uitengsu, yep. uh, Monchu Aboitis. Amazing. Um, you know, so it's a very good board, right? And they're all, you know, so so dedicated to building the ecosystem here, right? Uh, now, now we also have Piki Lopez on the board. That's um, so, you know, we gave them advice on on the constitution of the board, and then the next thing she asked was, you know, Cindy said, "Can you now help me find somebody to run this?" And so I would mm. pass on resumes, I would pass on, you know, names of people I thought would be good for this. And she kept saying, no, 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 no. Um, it's got to be you. It's got to be you. And I said, no, I can't. You know, I have this thing called Hatched, right? And I need to take care of my shareholders. And there's lots of things to do in Hatch still. Mm-hmm. Anyway, one day, I think the thing that broke the camel's back after a year of saying no, right, was, um, you know, a, a, a couple of the board members got in touch with me and said, you know, Manny, we really need uh, uh, a managing director for Endeavor in the Philippines, right? And it's got to be now because this is the right time for the Philippines to have an organization like this. And it's got you and you should do it for the country. (laughs) Wow. How can you even say no to that? (laughs) I mean, you know, and it, it was after all, right, very consistent with my personal mission statement, right, which was unleashing potential of others, right, especially unleashing the potential of entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs, if they're good, have a massive ripple effect in society, right? So I ended up saying yes, and we launched Endeavor Philippines in 2015. That's amazing. We are six and a half years later, and we support 28 entrepreneurs. Great. Now, all right, let's take our last break, and when we come back, let's talk about Endeavor and how you even get in, what, what that team looks like, and then pay it forward to the whole ecosystem with just a couple of questions before I let you go. Let's talk about that more after the break. Welcome to Chicas and Margaritas. This is writer Kate Alvarez, TV host Valerita, and commercial model Doris Strong. 
three different women with different personalities and not to mention different hairstyles and different fashions. Discuss what it's like being a modern, empowered Filipina. Catch Chicas and Margaritas weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. Hey Hustlers, 2021 just breezed past us and I hope things are better for you during this pandemic because we're almost there and I think we're pretty close to finally getting over this hump. But the bad news is the whole dynamic of how business is done has completely changed because of this pandemic and you need to invest into new business models to make good investments. Now for the past couple months, I've been on the lookout recently on what's the best way to buy Ethereum to start investing in this new thing called Axie Infinity where I can play to earn. And I found the best platform to buy and sell Ethereum with the best prices in PDAX. PDAX is a homegrown cryptocurrency exchange licensed and regulated by the BSP that offers the best rates among local cryptocurrency exchanges. Through their user-friendly web exchange and mobile app, Filipinos from all walks of life can trade and purchase crypto anytime, anywhere. And they offer deep liquidity that allows traders of all skill levels to buy and sell crypto at the cheapest prices. So if you want to make your crypto work for you, download the PDAX mobile app on Google Play Store, App Store, or the Huawei App Gallery to start trading Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other cryptocurrencies for as low as just 50 pesos by signing up at podlink.co slash hustlesharepdax or just by clicking the link in the description box of this episode. And we're back from the break. We're still with Manny Ayala, who then told us again how he built Endeavor and how he got bundled to even <laughs> <laughs> to join uh, as the managing director. But now as managing director, I now want to understand. So Endeavor is again... The, the, the purpose is clear. You, you want to be able to help entrepreneurs so entrepreneurs can help the whole country as well. But you only have 28. And this is not an accident. This is not just a, you know, this is, there, you need to tick a lot of boxes for you to even qualify. Can you at least walk us through yeah. the typical way? Because as, uh, uh, and also now you have one uh, program that makes it that prepares people to to come in. But let's talk about the normal way of getting to be an endeavor entrepreneur. How does that work? Okay, I'll I'll give you the uh, the five cent version, and then then I'll give you the hundred peso version. Okay, let's do this. So the, the five the five cent version is we say you know we have an acronym in endeavor where we say in order for you to be in endeavor in the endeavor network. And this applies to entrepreneurs, but it also applies to board members, mentors, and our staff. Is you have to be 3M. So, kailangan magaling ka, okay. kailangan matino, mm-hmm. and very importantly, kailangan mapagbigay. Right? There's this yes. pay it forward spirit in you. I love that. Now, to get more technical, right? To get more technical, we um, first of all we focus on scale ups, not startups. Right, so we are looking for companies that are way past MVP stage. Right, we are looking at companies that are in growth mode. Right, we we want you to be 
you know, doing about several million dollars of revenue already, right? By the time you become part of the network and growing fast, right? Growing 80 to 100% uh, year on year. Yep. And by the way, yeah, this is not limited to tech. You know, I, I think yeah. about 65%, maybe even less, 60% of our portfolio is tech. 40% is non-tech. Shout out, Paolo Hilario. Yeah, so Paolo of yeah. uh, Labor. Labor. We have Zark Varana of Zarks. Yep. Right? We have... Steve. Uh, sorry? Steve Benitez of Bose. Steve Benitez of Bose Coffee. Kenneth Comonpue of his, um, you know, uh, eponymous... <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So Simon Baker, he's um, he's, he's into agriculture, right? Um, Abed Valenzuela is really in medical services, right? So it's it's a really good mix of tech and non-tech. Yeah. Now, um, we bring uh, our candidates through a, a a selection process that typically takes anywhere from twelve to eighteen months, right? Mm-hmm. There are a number of checkpoints along the way. So the first checkpoint is you do a one-hour meeting with the Endeavor staff, right? Got we it. call that a first opinion review. And the format of that is we, we tell the entrepreneur to tell their story, and then we ask a whole bunch of questions, right? Once that's done, we then begin to put together a profile, and then we will have another five to six one-hour meetings, with members of the Endeavor Mentor Network. And this can be mentors in the Philippines um, or mentors in other parts of the world, right? Uh, In the Endeavor world. So we go through five to six of these and we begin to formulate a picture of the entrepreneur, the business and the timing, right? Because for for us, those three are very crucial, right? So Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur, as I said, has to be 3M, right? They also have to be coachable, right? Because so much of our value comes from the mentor network, we need to make sure that these are entrepreneurs who aren't just magaling, right? They're actually willing to listen and take advice. We also look forward, right? And ask ourselves, are these the kinds of people that we want to be role models in the ecosystem, right? So that's looking at the entrepreneur. Then we look at the business, and here we ask, is there anything innovative about this business? Is it somehow transforming the economy or their industry, mm-hmm. right? And is it serving a big market, right? Because for you to be high impact, the numbers have to be big, right? So you can have you know, perfect product market fit. You can have extremely high net promoter scores. But you know what? If all you have is 100 extremely happy customers, you know, God bless you. That's great. But it's not for Endeavor because we need, we need the numbers that we need to have big yep. impact in the economy. Um, so we ask ourselves, is this going to impact lots of people? And then the last thing we ask is the timing, right? Is this company nearing an inflection point? By inflection point, what we mean is, wow, you know, there's there is exponential growth staring you in the face, right? You've proven the model. You just need to add, you know, more capital, more talent, and then this thing can, you know, you can blow it out of the park. If only you had more people to help you like Endeavor, no? Correct. So we look at those three things. Now, if after all of these one-hour meetings, we think, yep, this looks like it could be an Endeavor company, we will then do something called a local selection panel. We do this four times a year, 
And we'll typically have three companies join this local selection panel, right? And you can think about this almost like a shark tank, except okay. rather than sharks, it's dolphins, okay? So, okay. parang dolphins. And typically, as I said, we'll have three companies being reviewed by six mentors grouped into two, right? So there are three groups and they get interviewed by these mentors. And the cool thing that happens is after these interviews, these six mentors gather around the table and will debate, right? They will debate. They will ask themselves the question, is this company fit for endeavor? And is this company ready to go to the final stop before becoming formally Endeavor Entrepreneurs, right? That last stop is called the International Selection Panel, right? So it's just like the local selection panel in terms of the format, right? It's one-hour interviews with these panels, except it now is going to involve, you know, more than 20 countries. And you will have analysts from all over the world, right? So I like to say this is a very magical event, right? You feel yeah. so much energy from the entrepreneurs, from the panelists, right? And uh, I like to say it's my source of mojo, right? Wow. These interesting selection panels. No, it's amazing. Right. It's creme de la creme. Mm-hmm. That's the process. So like, you know, like a VC, right? If we look at the top of our funnel to the bottom of the funnel, you know, the yield is probably 3 to 4%. Right. So in a year at the top of the funnel, you're talking about 100 to 150. Right. Mm -hmm. At the end of that, you know, we might get three to four entrepreneurs. Yep. Passing. That's amazing. But again, it just goes to show it's creme de la creme that the ones that really make it tick all the boxes, not just a few or uh, some, but you have to tick all because the screening process, it's amazing. And with that, again, just goes to show the ones that have already made it. But I'm very curious because now as we release this episode, this is coming out August 30, and you only have two days before yeah. the clock runs out. There's this new program that you have called Endeavor Scale-Up Program. What is yeah. this? Is this a junior program? What, what, what's a, what would you describe this for and who is this for uh, in, in this regard? Yeah, I would say the Endeavor Scale-Up Program is an accelerator program for companies that don't quite yet hit the threshold, the revenue and growth threshold that I mentioned earlier, right? So as I said, we typically like like it when companies are doing, you know, a couple of million dollars in top-line revenue, right, before we send them to um, these these Shark Tank events. So this one is designed for companies doing a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year. And our goal is to speed up that process. It's a six month process and you get dedicated mentoring from people in our mentor network, right? Uh, There will be some uh, content delivered outside of the mentoring. So Content focus on things like um, raising capital, go to market, unit economics. Mm -hmm. But I would say the bulk of it is the dedicated mentoring. The goal that we had for our first cohort, which was last year, was you need to double your monthly revenue by the end of six months. I'm happy to report that our participants doubled their revenue, actually, even before the six months were over. Wow. Now that they've done that, we're now ready to put them back into the Endeavor selection process, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, 
if if you like medyo napabilis right the process by putting them right. through this scale up accelerator so yes we are st- you know starting our second cohort next month mm-hmm. applications are st- we're still open for applications i think um August so the 31st 31st is the deadline correct yes so if this comes out and you're listening to this when it comes out august 30 you only have mm-hmm. now until the 31st so if they want to go and join again, time is of the essence, guys. Where do they go? Yes. Um, so that they don't miss out the vote. And what's the process that will entail? Is it the same rigorous process that people go through? Um, or is it a slightly nicer one where you have to actually have a, ch- a chance? Yeah. So let me let me go through that. So where you need to go um, is where you need to apply is send us a message at hello at endeavor.org.ph. Mm-hmm. Hello at endeavor.org.ph. And then we're going to go through a series of, um, I guess, uh, evaluations, right? So yeah. the first screening process um, is going to be, I guess, an assessment by some of the mentors in our program and us, mm-hmm. right? And so we're going to whittle that down. Got it. And once we whittle that down, um, we're going to have some of these companies actually pitch, and then that will get whittled down even further, right? So our target is to accelerate three to five companies in this next cohort. Got it. That's amazing. Now, again, I'll give you a gift also. If you are listening to this, we will put this in the show notes. There's an application link in the show note of this episode. Uh, or if you just want to jot this down, it's bitsly.com slash scale up cohort two. But if you if you're driving, if you're biking, if you're in transit, don't worry, go to hustleshare.com to check out the show notes. And I think in September, Manny, you also have an event that's ha- happening. What is this? And can you shed some light? Because again, I can just only imagine yeah. how that how electrifying these events would be. And again, given the pandemic, it's not in person, but I'm pretty sure the amount of learnings are still top-notch what what are these the events that you're talking about yeah you know um every year we we do about a dozen events right and they're typically learning events they're typically events where we showcase entrepreneurs right and it's an opportunity for entrepreneurs to share their knowledge with others really right this is how we can think about this now we have a special event right which we do several times a year under the brand name endeavor Wow, pun intended right there. Mm -hmm. Well, as as the name suggests, right? So we are very committed to trying to support our female entrepreneurs, right? Because if you look at, actually, if you look at our our roster of entrepreneurs, out of the 28 uh, entrepreneurs that we support in Endeavor, Mm -hmm. it's female, right? So we, we, we need to do better. We need to do better. We, we actually did some research um, some time ago where we looked at entrepreneurship in the Philippines by gender. Did you know that actually more than 50% of all entrepreneurs are women? Wow. But, but here's, the, here's the thing. Though. Uh, sorry. So that's right. Over 50%. Uh, less than 10% of all the funding goes to women. Right. So there's a huge disconnect. Right. Correct. And part of the reason is most of the women in our observation, are engaged in what you might call um, subsistence entrepreneurship, right? They're, 
they're entrepreneurs just to keep the family afloat, right? It's very different from scale up entrepreneurship, right? Got it. Getting into something to hit, you know, to hit the jackpot, Mm-mm. right? What we're trying to do with Endeavor is just get more female entrepreneurs to share their stories so that we can inspire other would-be female entrepreneurs, right? Just to show mm-hmm. them, kaya, right? Kaya ng mga girls. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing in September? Our event on September 7 mm-hmm. is going to focus on branding, right? Building your brand, right? And we have three very special uh, guests at this, right? We have the founder of Zilingo, which is an e-commerce company in, um, in Singapore. Yep. We have the founder of Insider, which is a global digital marketing company. Yep. Uh, I, th- I think unicorn status or nearing yep. unicorn status. One of the most celebrated entrepreneurs in all of Turkey. And then Fashion Valet, which is a, an, a fashion e-commerce site out of Malaysia, also wow. run by all three of them run by Endeavor entrepreneurs who are women. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think there are more details of this on uh, Endeavor Phil- on the Endeavor Philippines Facebook page. Right, So look right. for the Endeavor Philippines Facebook page, September 7. Right there. And also, if I will put this on the show notes as well, just like the link for the application above. Now, Manny, I know we're running out of time, but I'll just ask you um, a couple questions that I, I, I want to know. So I'm right smack in the middle of the rule of three and ten. So things break apart when the rule when your your team multiplies in multiples of three and ten. This is uncharted territory for me because again, just to provide context in Podcast Network Asia, we're now in Singapore and we're in Indonesia. First time I've ever gone international. Uh, both have full time em- employees incorporated there, and. There are strains that are happening. People start to leave because, you know, um, it gets really difficult. Your management style has to change. Things that worked before are not working anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think th- these are the common traits that a lot of scale-up entrepreneurs were going, were going past. And sometimes, you know, you know it, it, what you thought worked before will not work again. For people For sure. that are not right now here who might not, who are interested to, again, get a gist of what learning they can possibly get in Endeavor. What's your advice for entrepreneurs who are like me again? First time into this uncharted territory, we're now out of the atmosphere. <laughs> I am scared and I have no idea. I, I do have a good gist, but I need mentorship and coaching because I don't want to mess right. up things that okay. could be pre- prevented. Well, so I want to repay the gift that you gave me with my own gift, right? And actually, nampanggit mo na, right? And my gift is the insight that the secret weapon for success in many cases is having a good mentor, right? So we have a we have a research group in New York called Endeavor Insight, right? And some years ago, the guy that runs it had an article which appeared on TechCrunch. I think it was 2014, right? And the headline was, you know, mentorship, the secret weapon for for entrepreneurs. They surveyed entrepreneurs in the New York ecosystem, right? There's hundreds of them in the New York ecosystem. And they looked at who the top performers were. And then they asked all of these people, you know, whether they had a mentor or not. So here's the result of that survey. You were three times more likely to be a top performer 
than your peers if you had a mentor. Three times, right? Three times. And not just any mentor, right? A mentor who's had success, right, in a business, right? Not just somebody who wants to give you their opinion, right? But somebody who's actually accomplished something, right? Yeah. And that's I, I, at least my own personal definition of mentors and coaches are mentors yeah. who's been there and done that to where you want to be, a good role model and everything else in between. Where a coach might not be someone successful that also failed, but again, someone you want to emulate because he's been yeah. there. So that's amazing. Yeah. Because you, you realize, right, that it, it's, it's a long journey, right? There's mm. the startup phase. There's the... Uh, MVP phase, there's the, you know, Stay I need up. to raise more growth phase, there's the, mm. hmm, I got to get re- ready for uh, an IPO phase, right? Right. Then there's the post IPO phase, there's all sorts of stages, right? And you will find people who've dealt with every one of those stages, right? What you can't do is assume, like you said, that what got you here will get you there, right? Yeah. That's, and that's never the case, right? Because things get more complex, right? Absolutely. Uh, organizationally, technically, commercially, right? Things just get more complicated, right? And you need different solutions and you need different people. Yeah. All right. Now, last question before I let you go. Yeah. When you talked about a nobody or earlier, mm-hmm. making it big time, that resonated mm-hmm. to me so much because by default, Manny, I'm just a nobody too. I came, I was raised by a single mom, mm-hmm. born and raised here. The reason I speak like this is because I had to give myself a chance. I don't look at all like someone who need to, I had to sound better. I worked in a call center and yeah. had to become better. And it was rough because we had to get here. She used to work for Ayala to so shout out to Jaza if you ever come across to this. She was in Ayala Foundation for 17 years and she hustled her way. She sold some goods on the side and one thing that my mom always told me is that you know the reason why she's hustling hard because she wanted to give me an opportunity to achieve more than what she could have had and she always exposed me to new things Mm -hmm. and having endeavor give hope to those people that i felt like you were describing because i am one i'm just also fortunate that i've surrounded myself with people who would give me that chance it wasn't easy. I've also made a ton of mistakes. But there's more people like me, especially here in the Philippines. Raised in the Calle. Absolutely. Um, what would be your advice for, for us or for those people who are behind me in the line? Same path. You know what? My, my advice is study people who've done it before, right? That might have had a similar story to you. Like for me, one great example in Endeavor is Zark Barona, right? Yeah. The founder of Zarks, right? So he's Ilongo, right? So he didn't come from the seat of power, right? And didn't go to one of these elite schools. Mm. And his interest in life was always food, right? Mm. So he knew he wanted to do something related to food. You know, one of his jobs, one of his first jobs was working in the kitchen of Outback Restaurant. Wow. The cuisine, Indonesia, yeah. not... This is kitchen, kitchen, right? Mm. Um, the the next job he had after that was working in the kitchen of a cruise liner, wow. right? Bapor, right? Luxury liner, right? So you, you could say that he was an OFW. Mm. He kept this dream alive, right? He kept this dream alive. So when he saved enough money, 
at one point he sets up a kiosk, right? He, he, he uh, leaves the cruise line business and then sets up a kiosk, right? That kiosk becomes a restaurant, becomes a burger joint, yep. you know, and today Zark is very successful, right? I mean, pre-pandemic, um, more than 30 outlets across the Philippines, right? Even sponsoring his own PB, PBA G League team yeah. at one point. Correct, correct, correct. So, you know, that's my advice. Is say, you know what? Look at, study these people. Because kung kaya nila, kaya mo rin. True. Right? I mean, nothing was given to Zarks, right? He had to scrape, you know, every inch of the way. Yep. Right? Look for role models. Study what they do. And it doesn't even have to be just Pinoy, right? I mean, there's so many examples of people who came from nothing in other mm-hmm. parts of the world and through determination, you know, grit, mm-hmm. right? Never losing sight of the purpose and the mission. They're able right. to get somewhere. That is amazing. And again, one thing also, don't be, a, aside from studying, take the mm-hmm. extra step. Reach out. Because most people like Zark will be more than willing to mentor you and walk you through the way if you're also just going to be willing to put in the work and be humble to be coached. Because we don't want to be the last. That, that is a very, very good point. Ang Pinoy kasi ako minsan mahiyain, right? Yes. Right? And because uh, we don't want to lose face, nakakaya, right? But you know what? The... Uh, there's there's a saying when I was living and working in New York that that stuck with me forever, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's an important saying, right? Which is if you don't ask, you don't get, right? This is an important thing. If you don't ask, you don't get. So learn how to ask. What's the worst that can happen? Is that they'll say no. If they say right. no, you're you're no worse off anyway. So what's the difference? <laughs> Absolutely. Right? And I, you know, taking a taking a page out of football, also, right? If you never have a shot on goal, mm-hmm. right? You'll never score a goal, right? Exactly. So you just have to try. right? You just have to try. That's true. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Again, Manny, we went over time, but thank you very much for having such an amazing episode. I couldn't think of a better guest for my 150th. It's a pleasure. But before I let you go, invite people over to... Uh, endeavor and again if they want to reach out and also uh, talk to you if, if they get a chance where do they go and how do they do that Ron thank you so much for having me on the show I really enjoyed it and uh, you know away from this program if you ever want to chat about you know some of the issues you're facing growing your business I will definitely reach out I will shoot my shot Yes, if you say no, at least I'm still here. <laughs> and yes, that done. And again, if you want to reach out, I think we'll also put the links of Endeavor into the episode show notes as well. But before I let you go, Manny, follow us on Endeavor Podcast after listening to whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts and whatnot. Again, we do have some show notes. It's going to be in the If you want to check out and suggest guests into our next episode, it's going to be the Hustle Share community on Facebook. Again, Manny, thank you very much. All right. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right, and I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.
Hey Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag Uno Ready Savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag Uno Earn or hashtag Uno Boost Time Deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag Uno Earn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels, giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. 
Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay.